0: All right, so welcome to our fifth uh, student faculty discussion of the, of the semester. Uh, today we're really excited to have uh, Dr. Matthias Medell, a Fulbright Distinguished um, Lecturer from the University of Leipzig, and he's suggested to us by our own member, freshman Kevin Song. So um, you might as well start, you know, with just um, a little bit of talk and maybe some of the work you do, um, and then maybe a little bit of impressions on
1: Duke, And but mainly it's a discussion, so Yeah. I would prefer really to enter uh, into discussion with you because uh, it is always difficult to uh, speak about differences only from one side. (laughs) Uh, uh, So uh, probably I I should start with uh, giving you a very short bio uh, to to introduce myself. Uh, I I started studying history in in 81 uh, and uh, completed my PhD in 89 in Leipzig. Um, So it was about the history of the French Revolution uh, due to the fact that there were the essentials of the French Revolution in 1989. So everyone expected 1989 as a festival of people dealing with revolutions, uh, but only historically. Uh, So I submitted my PhD in February 89, not really being aware uh, how close we were to a real revolution at that time. Uh, July 89, when I had my PhD defense, was much more of a combination of having revolution outside and uh, speaking about a very historical revolution in, in, in uh, 1789. Um, so that experience of analyzing a, a revolution at the same time when uh, going through one uh, was probably something that um, made me aware of two things. One is that uh, Agency of people against uh, elites is something that is not continuously uh, stake in in a society, but that can break out uh, very much unattended. Uh, While uh, there are other periods in history uh, when you would say, "Okay, governments have very much control over all what the people think and do, etc." So you have a very nice and stable society. Uh, that was the one thing. And, and the other thing was exactly this confrontation we have um, uh, talked about, uh, that there is real history and there's always uh, the second dimension of um, conceptualizing history in a way to say, this is a revolution or not. Because the, the funny thing in 84, immediately after 89, was the, was the debate about, is that a revolution what happens here? Uh, and the. Um, so the crazy point was that so many revolutionaries refused to design themselves as revolutionaries uh, because they thought that the term revolution comes from the Marxist-Leninist uh, orthodoxy. And therefore, we, we are against that. And therefore, we are no revolutionaries, but we are uh, normal people whatever. What we do is not a revolution in the historical sense, etc. So I was confronted to this double experience. Um, and then I traveled a lot over the 90s to, to France, to, to to Italy, to Russia, uh, and, and then also to the U.S. Um, I mean, profiting to some extent from this situation that uh, they're now travelling westwards was also allowed, because uh, uh, until '89, the war was much much more difficult. Uh, and one of the consequences of, of this experience that, on the one hand, universities are Uh, extremely different, uh, and contexts are different uh, for universities and society, and on the other hand, uh, there might be some similarities because it was so easy to teach in all these universities. So if someone coming from a totally different context can teach there and can communicate with the students, uh, then there might be a common ground. Um, And so I was uh, thinking about the consequences of this. Um, that we have a uh, mainly nationally organized uh, university system, or system of higher education in a broader sense of uh, work, while we uh, undergo a sort of um, transnationalization in, in many other parts of the society. And I thought, okay, uh, it might be an interesting thing to bring different universities together in one common uh, course. Uh, instead of having a course in one university, and then traveling abroad, let's say for a summer term or or for for one year or so. So we created in in 2004 a global studies program with eight universities uh, coming together, uh, four from Europe, uh, one from Poland, one from the UK, one from Austria and Leipzig, plus four other universities. So it's uh, Santa Barbara, uh, it's Dalhousie Canada it's in stone South Africa and it's Sydney um, Australia um, and I mean the offer uh, of such a course seemed to have been very attractive uh, to students from all around the world so we have now some uh, 80 students uh, per cohort um, uh, from now 38 countries uh, so that is some extent against the trend of, of German universities having a high uh, percentage of, of German students or some from the neighboring countries. Um, and for me personally, that meant, um, I mean, leading this, this consortium of, of these eight universities uh, was always uh, connected to something my, my wife is complaining about. Uh, uh, that means traveling to these other places and teaching there. So I, I went to Africa, I went to Australia, I went to the US, uh, teaching in these different contexts. And um, that has beaten my, my feeling that parts of the universities transnationalized now. Uh, so some students are very open to this idea to go abroad and to think about uh, a career that brings them to different places. Um, some faculty is is very much in favor of this. Um, also, uh, administrators at the different universities are happy with this. Uh, but on the other hand, you see uh, resistance to this. Uh, it's not a resistance that is very open in saying no. We wouldn't go into contact with these other people. It comes much more out in the daily life. Let's say. Uh, we don't know if these polls are really of the same qualitative standards as we are in London, uh, or can I really expect to have all these wonderful books I have in my library at home uh, in these other places, etc., etc.? So uh, I guess it is less a note resistance and, and rejection of the idea of transnationalizing um, studying, but it is some fear, it is, so, I mean, uh, not taking the risk uh, to say it in a very polite way, uh, to expose itself to another culture and, and to learn probably more about the culture than let's say what is on page 22 uh, of this volume not available in the library uh, in Africa let's say yeah? so uh, transnationalizing study programs means also to put more emphasis on cultural context than on a very concrete knowledge we should know when the French Revolution uh, s- started. And this is some, um, something we will learn on Wikipedia. We don't need any class for that, I guess. So, uh, yeah, and, and, and one of the um, uh, things that, that brought me then to Duke was exactly this connection, because uh, one of the professors here in the history department, Dominic Saxenmayer, taught previously at uh, UCSB, and we met there when I was there, a visiting professor, and he said, okay, uh, you should uh, apply for this Fulbright professorship, and um, then they uh, made me uh, an enormous compliment, saying, we looked for some younger scholars, uh, you can imagine what that meant uh, about the others. <laughs> okay, so I, I spent a, a really wonderful year here. Uh, I'm, I'm just preparing uh, to leave on, on Thursday. Uh, I had very nice experiences with the two classes I taught here. Um, I would insist that there is a lot of similarities. I wouldn't say that the differences are so important between my Leipzig class and my class here, Uh, But that might look different from your perspective uh, than when you compare what I've done here to what other professors have done uh, uh, next day in in, in the history department. So um, I'm always also curious to your um, comments on that. Uh, There are some some differences. Um, mm, Most Germans would probably insist on how serious students uh, are here, uh, when reading, when submitting papers, when discussing grades, etc., while German students are much more relaxed, uh, concerning these things. Um, most Germans would probably also uh, say that the situation of the library is much better than in, in some German places. Uh, When it comes to differences, the main difference I felt was that people in the class eat here. Uh, (laughs) So that was something I have to confess uh, I was not prepared for. So I I said, okay. Uh, The um, uh, practice of drinking in class. So when I uh, had my study time, It was not allowed to bring anything into the classroom, uh, and we survived even 90 minutes without drinking. Uh, Then I learned from my students over the last five years that it's impossible, there's even medical uh, reasoning about that you need all the 10 minutes something to drink. Here I learned now that the next step, what we can expect now in Germany too, is that some uh, eating in class will come. And I guess there's good um, biological reason for that, too. Um, yeah, so uh, that's that's probably to, to uh, present something uh, from my perspective. Uh, of course, it is not the most serious uh, similarity or difference uh, when it comes to, to these things. But what I would like to say is uh, that there are some different patterns of behavior, uh, I guess mainly due to the fact that American universities are mostly campus universities. So you live on campus and all your life is organized around studying. While uh, Leipzig University, for example, is a city university. So people would not eat in class, but go out for eating in a a cafe or in in a restaurant, Um, and would try to distinguish between leisure and work, and say, okay, this is class, and now we will have some break for an hour to eat. Uh, while here things are uh, much more organized around the classroom, and uh, so there's a lot of activities on campus. Uh, we would have them, like much more in the evening in a club or so, somewhere in the city or, or so. So I, I guess this is the, the feature that um, brings these these differences in behavior um, out. <coughs> yeah, I I'm, mean I'm, I'm open to your questions. I have not prepared. Uh, as, as you know, a 75-minute uh, uh, lecture. No, <laughs>
0: yeah. oh, I actually have a question. Um, I noticed on Duke's campus, like, we're all very socially aware. A lot of people have a lot of issues that they're very passionate about, but I don't really sense any sort of protest culture. Um, or, like, like, from my experience, tabling out, like, sometimes tabling is either merely tolerated, some people will come up, but for the most part, people put in their earphones and, like, walk away as fast as they can. Yeah. And so I feel like, um, I don't know anything uh, about the campus that you've been on, but do you notice our students more um, into, you know, protesting? Are they more into, like, vocalizing their social concerns? Because I feel like that's our generation's tool to really make change in the world, but it's not really utilized, yeah. or underutilized, I should say.
1: Um, I mean, what, one remark from a historian's point of view, the claim that our generation will change the world. Came up for the first time before the First World War. Uh, so since we have youth movement as a very distinct feature, uh, so that's not not your generation that's the first presenting itself as changing the world, but uh, you have these people uh, having been engaged in war, uh, nineteen fourteen. Nazi movement uh, started also with the students' uh, very conservative right-wing engagement in universities. So universities were the first to become brown uh, and, and Nazi uh, for the reason that students um, protested against the world of the old professors, liberal um, decadent whatsoever. You have in 68 the same thing from the from left. So So thank you. That is not always right-wing nationalist things. Uh, You can uh, probably uh, write a long history of of students' movements. Uh, There's secondly, I guess, uh, another story to tell, not so often in history textbooks, of periods where the younger generation was very unhappy uh, with the... uh, the non-engagement, the reluctance of people, uh, and that they are not able to mobilize. And that's exactly what, what I tried to say in the very beginning. Uh, my experience of 1989 was uh, that, I mean, compared to 1985, for example, uh, we would have said, as students, the same thing. 85, uh, no one is, takes really care of what happens in the world. There are major changes, but uh, people don't react to it. Uh, four years later, we had this outbreak of, of uh, enormous uh, engagement. So this is of course nothing that helps you individually uh, to say, okay, I have only to wait until the next uh, boom will come. Uh, but there are moments in, in history, uh, and you can explain why that happened. But that would be a very long story um being more favorable to to get um this is the very general remark my my experience here is that both students and faculty look very very fast uh, to make conclusions i would say moral conclusions from what they observe in the world um in the sense of this is good or this is bad, Uh, I'm always thinking about, hey, wait a minute. Let us first think what happens there. Uh, Is there something we can probably first analyze before we take our uh, flags uh, on this or that side? Uh, But this is an American culture, and that has to do with campus culture. So it is not only teaching, but it is socializing and it is politicizing at the same time in a very restricted space that has not so much connection with the world outside the campus. Uh, You can probably say it in a physical metaphor. If you press so many people on a small campus, uh, they will, of course, think very politicized. Um, But... leads to, in, in, when, when I looked over what happens here about the China Tibet story over the last days, um, to some reactions uh, where I would say there is much more ideology uh, in it than real knowledge of what's going on uh, on the spot. So I guess German students, because they are not so much pressed on the campus, uh, would diversify more. Uh, You would see, and I'm I'm sure they debated the same story uh, there too. uh, But this was would lead to, let's Mm -hmm. say, 20 clubs around the city uh, and there is one more in favor of a very harsh critique uh, towards China's government. Others would say, okay, there is some sports uh, and uh, we shouldn't confuse sports and politics so much as it is done now with all these boycott ideas. Uh, others would say, okay, let's speak about Tibet, uh, compare it uh, to other upheavals of emancipatory movements." while the next club would probably go in the the, the direction, hmm, we have the experience with the Kosovo and with these independent, uh, or movements towards independency, uh, where uh, you can fear also uh, very strong separatist nationalist feelings, uh, probably not helping the people on the ground, uh, neither socially nor politically. So I would say there are a lot of answers to this dispute, uh, and probably this situation that uh, brings these demonstrations into one street uh, makes them clashing immediately, and everyone has to take its decision if I'm on this side or that side, etc. Um, I'm not sure if this is um, um, only uh, a positive uh, thing. Um, and there's another point here, uh, the difference between the US and Germany uh, is that the US are not only in the sense of its economic um, way that it's uh, political and military power, but also in itself understanding really a global power. That means here in the US, everyone, no, not everyone, but I mean people thinking politically, um, think that he or she takes some responsibility for what happens in China. So we have to have an opinion on this because we are uh, not intervening, but we have some interferences with these uh, places, or the Middle East, or, I mean, it's not only focused on this one issue, there are different ones. Well, Germany, uh, after the Second World War, retired and some said, at least after uh, the experience with Nazism, uh, luckily, uh, from this idea that we have to go always to put our foods on this part of of the world. Uh, The consequence of this is that so many people are more distant to the thing because we have nothing to say about this is a domestic affair of some other countries. And we we would respect that they solve their problems, uh, while we would expect that they respect our solutions. Uh, And we have now very strong tensions, for example, in the NATO, uh, while the Americans say, hey, Germans, you have to join us, for example, to make this job in Afghanistan. Germans say, no, no, sorry. We have now this very long tradition of not intervening. And what the hell has the Bundeswehr the German army to do in Afghanistan. And then our um, Minister of, of uh, Defense said, uh, no, <coughs> but, but I mean, some guy from the political class said, uh, democracy is now defended at the Himmlerkirche. And this is, I would say, a, a point of view that joins the US concern about Afghanistan is part of a global. Uh, conflict. While the majority of the German people wouldn't buy that, uh, and and our students too, they would say, "Okay, let's speak about how all these powers intervened in um, in Afghanistan, but probably we should also learn what the Russians took as a lesson there, uh, and not only what happens now, um, and let's be more cautious." about making immediate statements, this is a good or this is a bad thing. Uh, Some philosopher's last remark uh, would bring this way of thinking, uh, there are always good and bad things, uh, and nothing in between, uh, probably to some religious traditions uh, in the US, while Europeans think probably, or, or other people in the world, think from other philosophical and religious background. So this manicurism, that there is always only the one or the other, while, to my experience, most of the history happens in the middle ground between the good and the bad, uh, is, uh, is another position um, Yeah? Um, the Duke administration is
0: really like, moving forward on um, getting its students to have more civic engagement. Like, they just wrote out the, uh, the Duke Engage program like, starting this year. And, like, um, I don't know if you know about this, but like, um, it's like, okay, for the program I'm doing, like, I'm going to Belize this summer. And we're going to be working with um, the, uh, the children in like, some of the summer schools there, summer camps, for like, enrichment programs. Like Going off what you just said about um, like, the situation in Tibet and not looking, looking at things from like, a morally good or morally bad perspective, I think that this like, focus on civic engagement is misappropriated.
1: No, no, of course not. Uh, I mean, um, everyone would agree that people being engaged in whatever uh, social setting might be helping handicapped people in the country or going somewhere uh, helping Africans to get water in their village uh, is, of course, a good thing. Uh, Nevertheless, uh, there is this idea of um, global civil society uh, that came out in the 1990s. And that said, let's replace uh, action previously uh, done by the state. Uh, Now, uh, let's hand it over to NGOs. Therefore, an enormous rise of NGOs, because uh, a lot of the budget was transferred now from state-driven agencies towards NGOs. All these activities are paid uh, by the same budget that was previously probably given to the city of Durham or so. And um, then I would say Europeans believe much more in the capacity of the state to to manage something uh, properly instead of sending always amateurs to do so so that's the one thing um, I read a couple of days ago an article about um, rebuilding Durham and, and refreshing downtown Durham um, and there you can see that money that came from the federal budget uh, to the city of Durham before is now going to NGOs developing uh, Bradley Square for this is not an NGO composed by 20 uh, intelligent students, but by people having economic interests. Uh, so they, to, to some extent, these NGOs escape from the democratic control by uh, elected people or by elections. So it's not only a good thing to transfer social Uh, problems to NGOs because NGOs are very enthusiastic uh, many of them but uh, it is very difficult to control them democratically Um, third thing uh, when it comes to this uh, civic engagement I've seen some of this in Africa Um, there are wonderful bright young people from the north helping the Africans unfortunately destroying all the indigenous infrastructure and mainly helping them to feel good instead of helping the Africans. So uh, when it comes to doing something good in in this civic engagement, we have also to reflect what is the effect of what we are doing here? Do we replace uh, an existing Structure that was built for uh, decades by an initiative that works this spring but will not be repeated next year, but uh, someone will need it next year too. Do we replace something that was driven by the people on the ground while we fly in, help, and fly out? Uh, You know, uh, so what we have. To do is to think carefully. What are the effects of, of this uh, engagement? When it comes to, to the differences again of what I see here on campus and what I would uh, identify as similar in Germany, you have first to know that German students normally two to three years older than you are. Uh, the percentage of students having a family and living with their families in a neighborhood is much higher than here. So um, some. 50% have kids, uh, some 20, more than 20% are married, uh, not living in dorms but living in a house uh, or yeah, in apartments. And that means uh, they do their civic engagement uh, in a normal setting in their neighborhood and not, I mean, as a, as a student uh, activity. Uh, but we have, of course, also those uh, doing a lot of, of very useful things. But, but I'm I always being cautious to say that's a wonderful thing, or that is a very bad thing, and forget about it. But let us check in, in every case: uh, is there a, a good effect, uh, and or do we destroy something um, by by this engagement too? That might be, yeah, uh, the case as well. I have a question. One of your classes right now is on um, the history of the 20th
0: century, right? Yeah. Uh, I was just curious as to what you've seen or how you think the students' response has been to have a teacher talking about the 20th century that has a more European or more German perspective um, concerning the, some of the events of the 20th century. Things hmm. like colonization and decolonization and uh, like moving from a European perspective to a, to a broader, more world, more, not worldly, but developing world. How have, have students been receptive? I don't know. I I guess my question is just how have you found it?
1: Uh, to some extent, it's difficult to answer because uh, I mean this was a lecture class, uh, and uh, it's, it's it would be much more interesting to have your comments <laughs> on this than 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 mine. I can now speculate on how um, offence they felt uh, when I spoke from what you say is a European perspective on this. Um, I thought from time to time, okay, today we will deal with the US and probably they will react. Um, I thought, okay, that might be a nice uh, day, but um, there was not so much uh, protest uh, as I thought uh, it should be. Uh, so when I when I spoke about hyper-nationalism in the ni- since the 1970s of the US, uh, or when we had all the debate about uh, the Vietnam War versus the Vietnam conflict, uh, and what does that mean for today's uh, political culture, uh, or when it comes to the idea that uh, American consumption culture is not uh, what happens all around the world, but it is adapted uh, to the various local contexts. Uh, So probably you can say more than than me on that, um, while I'm not so sure if I have a European perspective uh, or a German, you know. it's not really off the records, but um, uh, probably you should not uh, give it to all the Germans um, in radio. Uh, when I applied for this uh, professorship here, uh, they asked me in the German uh, Fulbright Commission um, to what extent I would like to represent Germany in the American University. Okay. I, gave some answer that I would like, if if necessary, but normally um, I, I can't see it in that bilateral way. But Anyway, I came here and I thought all the year, when will be the moment when I have a chance to represent this Germany to America? <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, uh, there was not, not such a big deal with it. Um, so people they're not really caring about uh, my German uh, origin, etc. Uh, but in the very end of, of my graduate class, uh, I asked the students, uh, so what do you think it was the most important you learned? Um, they, they said uh, two things. It was a class about 1989 in a global comparison. Uh, first, Germany was not so important in that story. As China was, or as South Africa was, etc. And second, we have to think more carefully about democracy. This term might also hide some uh, political practices uh, we thought they might only be positive, while uh, we we should think more critically about them. I said, "My God, Germany has lost, uh, less, has lost its um, importance in this history." And democracy is now a critical issue. <laughs> That's probably not what they expected, <laughs> as a German perspective uh, on, on that. And, uh, uh, yeah, but but uh, what was your uh, feeling about my German or European perspective? Uh, I can't um, control that.
0: Well, I don't think it just comes from the course, or like you being a German professor. But I thought that um, like a lot of the discourse in our class was focused less on like. Nations like the US did this, the US did that, but rather like on groups of people, like the liberals in the US did this, or like the conservatives in the US did this. So that like, just moved the discourse from like nation states onto like the agency of individuals. So that was something like that was new, especially like in other history classes where you, where you always learn about like, like oh, like Germany did this in World War One, the US did that in World War One. So it just like shifted like, where our attention was focused on.
1: I mean, this is uh, the, the test question I give always to my students at Leipzig. Uh, when you speak about an agent in history, complete the sentence with, uh, has taken his breakfast. That means you can speak about Stalin. He has taken his breakfast at 9 in the morning. But never Germany goes for breakfast. Uh, Never, classes go for breakfast. Yeah. So therefore, you can really control yourself if you are uh, speaking well about history uh, when uh, using the extension in your phrase. If this thing goes for breakfast, uh, then it is fine, uh, and uh, that that helps to understand what what more theoretically driven people would say. It's an agency oriented approach in history, etc. Uh, and uh, but you can control yourself very easily and so, um, never races look for practice. Yeah, so. At least I have never seen that. Uh, probably <laughs> someone can convince me of the contrary, but uh, this is not my experience. Yeah.
0: In your experience teaching, um, have you sensed any sort of like anti-American sentiment among your German students?
1: trouble with this term anti-Americanism. There is uh, a lot of books out now um, these people are anti-American, those people are pro-American. And uh, what does that mean uh, in, in concrete? Uh, Jim, first of all, um, speaking about America means Normally, you have never been there. Uh, because when you come here, you realize that this country is very diverse, and this California and, and Massachusetts are probably not, not the same province. Um, uh, so of course, a lot of German students uh, have not experienced whatever part of the US and this speaking about America is uh, means we speculate from whatever information we have, that they there uh, might do this or that. Uh, Second, there is a long tradition uh, since the late 19th century uh, in Germany especially to speak about hyper capitalism in the US versus controlled uh, nice capitalism in Mainly Germany. So the the Renanian versus the American version of capitalism, etc., etc. That influences a lot of uh, ideas about how this country here works. Um, uh, And when Germans then look to the um, uh, presidential uh, race now um, and seeing that there is a dispute about healthcare, they say, ha! That's exactly this kind of capitalism we know since the late 19th century. So it will always renew this idea that there are differences uh, between the American and the European, whatever Europe means, I, I will come back to that, um, way towards modernity, etc. But at the same time, uh, there is a strong feeling of being connected with the US. Uh, Both by being part of the West, being part of uh, one transatlantic system, economy, etc. There is, of course, this long post war history of Americans uh, saving West Germany from uh, the threat from the East, uh, etc. And
0: that resonates even in Leipzig?
1: So, and and now I come to all these German and European perspectives, you know. Uh, This is the funny thing. I guess we we are a little bit less inscribed into this tradition uh, when it comes to the eastern part of Germany, uh, into this tradition to represent ourselves as Germany being different from America, with two effects. The one is, in in, in this terms, negative, saying, we have nothing to do with this post-war history. We are now occupied by the American capitalism, as other parts of the world are. Uh, while others would say, um, and that's a positive reaction, ah, stop, uh, we are probably exposed to the same sort of globalization uh, Americans feel uh, attracted by or, or um, uh, puzzled by, whatever. Um, while we see from East Germany that some West Germans live um, yet under the conditions of a state controlled capitalist system yeah? so if, if you look to, to what extent uh, welfare state elements have never been introduced to the eastern part of Germany while they exist uh, in the western part and uh, like this system. so that means state uh, or yeah, public service having uh, a secure place uh, to work for all their life plus pension, a system that uh, gives loyalty to the state uh, by those people, but at the same time, it costs enormously. Uh, this system was never introduced into East Germany. So even people in the East German public administration can be fired. Um, and, and they say, OK, we feel much more like Americans. Uh, we know that this is uh, on the holy island of West Germany, just existing. Or when it comes to the proportion of, of women working uh, and and having kindergartens uh, at their disposal, because working and having a kindergarten is some or other forms of child care is, of course, related. Uh, then East Germans would say, OK, we live in the same world uh, like Americans, like French, like Africans, like Asians, uh, while our West German friends uh, live under a sort of a special umbrella. Um, and, and if you make any map of, of this kind of, of, of things, you would say there are really more differences between the two parts of Germany than with America. Um, So again, this is nothing where uh, East Germany reacts um, as a unity, and uh, I would say also West Germany is not reacting uh, in a very coherent way. Um, I can't see any anti-Americanism in the sense of that there is burning American flags, attacking American embassies hating Americans only because they are Americans. Uh, I would say these are elements of really uh, an anti-Americanism. While some very sensitive Americans see anti-Americanism in all ways of of criticism, and uh, that would be stupid to deny that there is criticism. And when I have to stay there some five hours in front of the American embassy to wait for my visa, uh, of course I'm angry, but I wouldn't <laughs> say that anti, I, anti-American, therefore. You know? uh, this, I, I guess we, we have to make a very clear distinction between the uh, criticism and, and anti-Americanism in a sense. Uh, but I know that there was last year or so an article in the Spiegel uh, that American students feel very uh, often offence now when coming to Germany, um, I would say. To be so sensitive. Um, uh, you know, you are always not attacked but uh, asked <coughs> about your alien status, etc., and that may happen to Americans too, but you can survive it.
0: Um, ography you said about like, anti-americanism and how like that is in Germany do you also feel the same way about like anti like Islamism in, like in America in which Americans are also viewing like Islam as the single parent unity that um like is an enemy to America sort of? I'm the,
1: the the thing that shocks me uh or that shocked me when I first came to uh, West Germany uh, in 89, uh, 90, uh, was this discourse about communism and the Russians without any knowledge about that. So uh, in a a way, dehumanizing uh, people living somewhere else in the world For the simple reason that they are far uh, from my home and that they might have been a threat or have been represented as a threat to my uh, country, etc., etc. And when it came here to some answers, uh, when I said, okay, we have to include Russian history into the (coughs) uh, the global history, because it is, of course, part of. uh, global history uh, when it comes to one-sixth or so of the earth uh, at least in territories Uh, students answered me no, uh, we have never heard about Russian history at high school for example so it is not part of our worldview then you see the very lasting effect uh, of Cold War perceptions and I would say that Parts of this discourse, uh, or I I met parts of this discourse now about Islamic countries, whatever that means, I'm not sure if Islamic countries is the right term. Uh, Might be there are countries where Muslims are the majority. Uh, Then it comes to the McQueen question, uh, what kind of Muslims they are. Uh, you know, and, and you can confuse them or you can come into them more concrete. And then it comes to the Iranian society and we see we have uh, very modern forms of, of uh, Muslim uh, belief systems uh, while we have more countryside related ones. Uh, that is something we know from the Turkish example uh, since long. But this is, Turkey is something we know. We've made our uh, holiday trips there uh, as Europeans, so we don't fear so much the Turkish, um, while we think about the Iranians as starting immediately uh, invading our countries. Um, and I guess the same is now also coming up with the Chinese. Uh, so th- th- there are some people far from us. Uh, we don't enter into any anal- analysis of how they or how their logic works, and why they do this or that thing. Um, And that has to do, I guess, with this um, tradition to see things always in good and bad um, uh, boxes. You know? Uh, It reduces the effort to understand what happens in a country. Uh, Because when you are clear about that's a bad thing, doesn't need so much more about uh, details. Um, I guess that, that's something that might become dangerous again uh, as, as anti-communism uh, and anti, not only anti-communism but also anti-Russianism or so uh, is, look, we, we had since Gorbachev came into power in 85, uh, starting probably 86, 87, these huge enthusiasm about the Russians, becoming now reform-oriented, becoming more human, uh, becoming civilized—all these representations uh, started to change the image of the Russians in West European societies. He has a nice woman uh, at his side, etc. So a lot of, of things—not the beer uh, with uh, with the knife between its teeth, uh, but very nice guy. With the uh, the representation of the Russians changed a little bit, uh, but nevertheless, it was a sympathetic country, uh, and we have to have business with them, uh, agreements on exchange students, etc., etc. Within the last three to four years. Of course, due to some uh, political decisions under Putin. Uh, But I'm looking now primarily to the uh, uh, representations of Russians in Western Europe. And what you see there is how fast all these people come back to the old stereotypes of the dangerous Russians having all the oil of this world. Pressing democratic people uh, under their dictatorship, etc., etc. So, what you see is how long these stereotypes survive even after a break of ten years, and uh, how difficult it is to bring uh, a more nuanced uh, idea of what happens in this country, uh, really to the mind of the majority of the people. And I would say that specialists of these countries here in the U.S. think so, but when it comes to the broader opinion, and only to, to, to say that uh, as, as a last sentence, um, I, I fear that this may be exploited. Uh, uh, you wouldn't enter any war uh, when you know people from the other country. Um, I will not kill, really, the kids of my neighbors. Um, yeah, This is a behavior that comes only at the margins of society. While Going into war and, and killing other people you never have seen as human beings uh, that's much easier but you know, that's probably a strong statement but anyway
0: um, well you've um, you know talked about the, the um, duration of stereotypes in, in the first world I'm wondering if by the same token um, East Germans, East German press I suppose um, is more sympathetic to to Russia than, than the West German? Or if, for instance, if they had a different take on um, the recent elections um, in in Russia. If, I mean, if, if yeah, because they were, you know, under the same, I mean, they were. No.
1: Um, <laughs> again, uh, two answers instead of one. Uh, East German media, of course, driven by West German journalists. Um, so there are no East German journalists in these media any longer, uh, therefore, it is, you, you have the same, um, uh, and, and I would agree that this was as, as a sort of election under Western standards, it was a poor um, uh, thing. Um, when it comes to a broader spectrum, again, it's only a very small uh, exclusion as a historian, uh, when you take Russia not as a nation state uh, with a a democratic system uh, in the sense Western Europe has developed uh, democratic uh, procedures for nation states, but as an empire with a larger size uh, and with some parts of it, mainly the Eastern parts, endangered by uh, incoming mobility from totally other uh, societies then this procedure uh, to hand over central power uh, without any risk to run into civil war uh, looks less um, uh, critical. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's only how you frame what happens there. Is it a uh, nation state comparable to uh, um, some 137 states uh, in the world now have no, do Procedures. So Russia is among the majority of them. Okay. Uh, but uh, to, to come back to your question, I would say yes, East Germans look with more sympathy or, uh, uh, I mean, very aggressive feelings to the Russians because they, at least the elder generations, knew a lot of that. Might be from occupation, might be from uh, a personal relationship, I mean, uh, every uh, child in the GDR had a sort of uh, uh, correspondence with a Russian uh, during its uh, high school time. Um, it was a totally uh, stupid thing because you have never seen this person. But anyway, you changed some letters to learn Russian. Um, and. It, so it is not always in the sense of positive uh, feelings about the Russians, it can also be negative, but it's more concrete and it's mo- much more in the sense of, we speak here about Russians and not about Russia uh, as a system. Uh, yeah? and, and this is the difference when I said dehumanize the other is exactly when speaking about China or about uh, the Islamic world also something that never would go out for breakfast, uh, the Islamic world, yeah, so mm-hmm. that's the point.
0: All right, well, thank you very much for um, having this discussion with us. It's really great to hear about here in Germany and you know, the students over there, and also just some of your feelings on your time here, so thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for having me here.